this is the podcast Powderhorn Park Presents. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to episode two of Powderhorn Park Presents. I'm Liz Thompson, the producer of the podcast. And I'm Liz Kraus, the recreation supervisor at Powderhorn Park. I'm Becca Gross, the community garden coordinator for the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board. Oh, and I'm Sam. I'm just a community member, volunteer. So today we're talking with Becca, the community garden coordinator, and we're going to talk about the community gardens at Powderhorn Park. Yeah, uh, the community garden at Powderhorn Park is up on the corner of 34th and a half Street and 11th Avenue South, and it's being used by lots of folks this year to grow their own food. Could you tell us a little bit of the history of the garden plot? Yeah. In past years, the space was being used by Youth Farm, uh, which is an organization I'm sure all of you have heard of. They uh, teach young folks how to grow fruits and vegetables and how to do you know, things beyond just the growing, like making value-added products, cooking community meals, uh, selling at the farmer's market. Uh, so they used the space for many, many years. It's my understanding it was one of their original sites. I'm sure, Liz, you probably have a lot of memories of Youth Farm being in the park, uh, especially when they would do the big community meals. They used to feed whoever came every Friday afternoon from the bounty of the garden. There was always so much that there was plenty to share, and the kids that uh, grew it participated in it also. And it was just a great community event every Friday afternoon. Yeah, it's awesome. So, yeah, they used the site for many years. And just a few years ago, they stopped doing work in South Minneapolis. They're focused more on the north side and on St. Paul gardening now um, and youth programs. So for a couple of years, uh, the garden was used as a donation garden. There were a couple of volunteers in the neighborhood, um, myself and a group of young folks from Conservation Corps that took care of the space. Uh, and we donated the food to um, a couple of nearby food pantries. And also last year we participated in the CSA through Plant Grow Share. So they distributed CSA shares to around 20 families in Minneapolis. And that's where the produce from Powderhorn went last year. We started doing engagement around the site uh, last summer to see you know, how folks in the neighborhood would like to see the garden evolve. And since the park board now has an official community garden program, uh, it seemed like it just made sense to make it into a space that neighbors could uh, sign up to use and grow their own food for their family. So from September to February, folks were able to apply for a plot in the garden and then utilize it this year. Through the application process, folks who are Minneapolis residents and who don't have access to food, out, excuse me, to land outside the parks were prioritized in that process. Could you tell us briefly about the garden policy for the park board? Yeah, uh, so the community garden policy was passed in 2018 um, after many years of community engagement and work, pressure from the public, you know, pushing to, to allow community gardening in the parks. And it basically allows folks to have their own plots in our parks to, you know, grow food for themselves and their families. We can establish community gardens in parks that have an urban agriculture zone in the master plan for the park. So every every park has a master plan that sort of lays out the future development of the park, future amenities that people would like to have, uh, changes that people want to see in their parks. And if your park has an urban agriculture zone in it, that's a space where we could potentially develop a community garden site. The youth farm site is an urban agriculture zone, which is why we were able to put in a an official community garden there. Part of the policy too is that application process that really makes sure that we're prioritizing folks who don't have their own yards at home um, and who really need access to 
gardening space in the public sphere. There is your yearly turnover in the garden, so if you weren't able to participate this year, don't worry. You'll have a chance to apply for a plot in September, from September to February again this year. Everybody who had a plot this year has to go through that application process again. So it always gives new folks a chance to get in the door and participate. How many people are participating this year? So there's 12 individual families and and individual gardeners, and then one group from a nearby church that is doing a youth program in the garden as well. They have a little bit of a bigger space because there's quite a few families that are participating. And then there's also a volunteer from the neighborhood who's helping to take care of the perennial garden and more shared spaces. There's a patch of asparagus and some rhubarb and some of those plants that come back every year that don't go into an individual plot usually because of the sort of yearly turnover aspect, but those are for anybody to pick. So it's great to have that volunteer from the neighborhood who's helping to take care of it. I was just up there this weekend and it's grown so much since it first went in. It really looks incredible. And there were some people up there working on it and everybody always looks so happy and relaxed. It's just kind of the zen atmosphere up there. It's a lot of fun to see. And then I saw some little kids up there. They were wondering, you know, what's this and what's that? So they're learning from the people that they're working with also. Yeah, that's great to hear. It's a really nice corner of the park. It's very quiet and peaceful up there. And I have often run across kids who are like running through the hose while their (laughs) parent is trying to water their garden or something. But uh, it's great to see it being utilized so much. And it has grown a lot. I think all that kind of intense heat really like boosted up the tomatoes for folks. As long as you kept your garden watered, the heat could actually be a good thing. So. Mm -hmm. And then you gave us the two silver troughs for the front of the building. I just looked at those tonight. They're huge compared to what they were, what was that, three weeks ago when we put it in. So I'm really excited to start looking at that hard and picking that when that's ready. And people seem to be leaving it alone and it's just just waiting for it to just be at peak. So we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's great. Um, There are a couple of, I should mention, a couple of... um, silver metal planters up in the garden right now um, and those are for anybody to harvest from Um, so we're growing mostly tomatoes and greens in those and some things that are really easy for folks to pick anybody can pull some weeds from those and anybody can pick the produce from that as well and that's a feature that is in every single community garden that we have in the parks sort of that shared space that park visitors and maybe somebody who wasn't able to get a plot that year is allowed to harvest from there. How many applicants did you have? Uh, There were about 35 folks who requested um, as their first choice a plot in Powderhorn Park, and then I I think around another 20 who put it as their second choice. So we definitely had, you know, more folks apply than we had space available, which will give us the impetus to hopefully expand the garden in the future. Do you see that potentially happening? Yeah, this summer we're going to start doing some engagement around adding another urban agriculture zone to Powderhorn Park. There's a big area on the east side of the park that was identified as a potentially good site, and there's water access there. It's full sun, it's flat and open, and not necessarily being utilized for anything else in this moment. We're going to start engaging the neighborhood to see if there's interest in adding another urban agriculture zone, which would allow us then to put in an additional garden or relocate the garden to that side of the park. You might have to amend the soil a little bit. (laughs) The last time (laughs) I was up there, it's pretty dry and sandy. (laughs) Yeah, most of our gardens 
in the park system are done in raised beds. It's a lot more accessible for people, a little bit easier for folks to maintain generally. The one at Powderhorn, we are doing it in the ground this year just because there was some questions around whether or not we wanted to do that on the east side of the park instead. And the soil there also happens to be really, really nice because Youth Farm spent a lot of time and energy working on building soil health in that space. So, Going back to where people can pick things just from the community, it reminded me of a confession I have to make when I was young. Growing up blocks from there, there was rhubarb and I was like four feet, three feet tall and I would sometimes steal a stock of rhubarb. So, <laughs> <laughs> And like my good friend was part of that Youth Farm garden growing up, so he would kind of be like, he would allow it. <laughs> so... And it was like, wow, this is sour. So now knowing that there's actually something set up, I think it's a really pleasant thing to set that up for people. It's invitational, but not to the point where people are like, like little me running around trying to steal it. <laughs> something tells me Youth Farm would have said, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping more folks become aware of that little rhubarb patch and also the asparagus patch that's right next to it. It's a very well-established patch of asparagus and sometimes it can take quite a few years to get that up uh, it's super tasty when I go to the garden I just like break off one stalk and munch on it while I'm weeding or watering oh you can eat it raw mm-hmm. oh because it takes a few years to really grow asparagus doesn't it Yep. Yeah, it's a perennial, and most of the time when you purchase a plant from the nursery, it's not a very mature plant, depending on how old the plant is, like two or three years to really start producing good stalks of asparagus. I'm not sure how old the one at the garden is, but it's probably like three to four foot in diameter patch, and right now it's about five feet tall. So you mentioned the address. What's a landmark? Like, what is it across from, or what, what is it near in the park? It's right by the tennis courts. By the tennis courts, okay. That are on the southwest side of the park. Do you think gardening has become more popular because of the pandemic? Yes. There are a lot of nurseries and growers that can't keep especially edible plants on the shelves. Working on another project for the park board had a list of about 12 plants that I wanted to order from Bachman's, and they didn't have any of them, which has never happened to me before. (laughs) Do you work with all the parks in the city that have gardens? Yeah, so there's eight kind of official park board community gardens where folks can apply for individual plots each year um, that are in neighborhood parks um, all across the city. There's two on the north side, two on the south side, two in the downtown area, and two that are east of the river, one in northeast, one in Prospect Park. There are a few community gardens where the park board actually owns the land that the garden is on. They were purchased to prevent the garden from going under either due to tax forfeiture or kind of development threats um, to preserve them as community gardens. So they continue to manage themselves um, and just have kind of a use agreement with the park board each year. And what are some of the popular things people are growing? I would say everybody's favorite thing is always going to be tomatoes. (laughs) There's very few plots in the park board community garden system that don't have at least one tomato. But people also like to grow some kind of unique things. There's a gal who has a plot in Dickman Park, which is in Northeast, who is growing garbanzo beans. She had a hard time finding fresh garbanzos at the farmer's market, like ones that actually haven't been dried out yet. Um, And she has a family recipe that calls for that. And so I think there's kind of a mix of people growing the good old classics and some sort of unique things that, you know, maybe are more culturally specific or that they've had a difficult time finding from growers. And so they decided to 
venture into doing it themselves. I like to grow things that are easy to grow for someone who tends to kind of neglect the garden. Basil seems to be a pretty great thing to grow that usually is really successful and not fussy. Yeah, a lot of people grow basil to go with their tomatoes too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will say I've seen a fair amount of downy mildew on basil in recent years. So it's important with basil just to keep it spaced out and give it plenty of room so that there's good air circulation around it. They're making some good varieties of basil now too that are resistant to downy mildew. I just grow it for the scent of it. I just rub it between my fingers and (laughs) walk around with it like that all day. I had for dinner tomato, basil, and mozzarella tonight, (laughs) right Mm. before I came here. It's awesome. Caprici salad. Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's caprese. Caprese. Okay, I've been wondering that for years. (laughs) What about berries? Yeah, um, there are some berry shrubs that were planted this year. There's a few rogue raspberries around that I think have just kind of popped up from maybe somebody put a plant in there at one time and they've just kind of spread around a little bit. The um, neighborhood volunteer added um, juneberries, currants, and gooseberries this year. Some that maybe folks aren't as familiar with. Um, We'll work on getting some signage up there soon so that, at least in time for next year when they're actually fruiting, folks know that they are things that you can eat. So we just put in a huge strawberry patch over at Sibley Park, not far from here, uh, and that will be open for anybody to come in and harvest from, as well as used by the Rec Plus program for their garden club, kids' garden club. And we're putting in on Wednesday a big raspberry patch there too. Uh, It's kind of challenging using raspberries in park gardens because they tend to kind of escape where you wanted them to grow um, and pop up in, you know, all sorts of funny places, mostly in the middle of grass and stuff. But at Sibley Park, we're putting it in a kind of a big concrete planter that's along the building, so it should keep it... You have to confine it in some way. Yes. Are strawberries pretty easy to grow? Yeah. Yep. Strawberries are pretty easy to grow. Um, They're a perennial and they will kind of spread and fill out a space in a nice way. You know, you just kind of want to thin out some of the older plants every couple of years so that the new ones can fill in because they produce fruit more efficiently. So if people are interested in becoming engaged with this agricultural program, how do they do that? If you are interested in having a plot in Powderhorn or in any of the other seven community garden sites that are in neighborhood parks, you can apply for a plot for next year, uh, starting in September. If you want to get on a list of folks who will be notified when the application comes out, you can send an email to communitygarden at minneapolisparks.org. Community garden, not community gardens, uh, at minneapolisparks.org. And then you'll, you'll get a notification when that application is available. If you're interested in getting involved this year, you can always, at any of the eight sites, send an email and offer to help with those shared spaces that are in each garden. And at Powderhorn, we're going to be doing a garden night uh, the first Tuesday of each month from 4 to 6, when you can just show up and we'll provide tools and you know, sometimes bring mulch and other things that we need to take care of the garden can help with some of the maintenance of the shared plots. And we'll also just kind of be there to answer folks' garden questions and have sort of a working social. Sounds really fun. So the first Tuesday of each month from four to six? Yep. The first Tuesday of each month, four to six up at the garden on 34th and a half and 11th by the tennis courts.
And your top priority for applicants is that they don't have access to any space for a garden? Yep. Do you include space for pots outside? It's kind of relative, I suppose. If we have 50 applicants for a site and there's a lot of folks who don't even have that, then that you know, might make those folks prioritized higher than somebody who has a balcony. But would it like officially count? Not necessarily. The way that the application scoring works is that I do, I do an initial round as a staff person running the program. And that's basically depending on how, you know, quote unquote competitive it was to get a spot at a given site, you know, that might take folks who scored below a certain number kind of out of the running. And then all the remaining applicants, those applications will be looked at by a few different staff members at the park board as well as some community members. We have community members from other sites looking at applications from different sites so that they don't have to you know, look at their own application. It's quite the process and we spend a lot of time trying to be really thoughtful about you know, making sure that the folks who need the space the most are able to access it. So I should mention it's a completely free program. We don't charge any kind of fee for utilizing a plot for the year. Do people talk about what their plans are for planting or is it more about access to garden space? There's a question that asks if they plan to grow edibles, ornamentals, or both. And per the community garden policy, a person who's growing edibles would be prioritized over a person who is not. Though I've, I've had very few people say that they just plan to grow flowers. I've never eliminated an applicant because they said they wanted to put some flowers in with their vegetables. Because from a horticulture perspective, that would be a very silly <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> But yeah, people do talk about their plans. Sometimes they'll talk about some of those culturally specific herbs that they want to grow or, you know, maybe a tomato that their father really loved and they want to kind of continue a family tradition. They'll mention those things. Some people's applications are really, really in-depth. They really get into it. <laughs> and the perennials that are up there, or not the perennials, but the, the extra plants that were put in by the volunteer, are any of them pollinators, or is there anything specifically addressing that? They're pretty much all native, perennial, pollinator-friendly plants. This particular neighbor knows a lot about gardening and then put together a pretty awesome plant list so that there will always be something blooming to feed pollinators in that space from spring to fall. In the last two weeks, there have been a lot of black swallowtail caterpillars in the garden at Potterhorn and everywhere else too. They feed on things like in the dill family and they're very hungry right now. So a lot of people's dill is pretty, looking pretty sad right now, but it'll bounce back and the caterpillars need it. What about rabbits and squirrels? Is there a fence around the garden that keeps them out? No, there's no fence around the garden. It's pretty impossible to keep out squirrels. And I would say they probably eat more things. People can put a fence up around their individual plot if they want, but we generally opt not to put fences up around the community garden as a whole. We want to just keep it pretty open and inviting for folks. And in my opinion, the critters are going to find a way in anyway. It is a part of our policy that we wouldn't have like a closed gate on a garden so that we are keeping it accessible to everybody. I have heard, tell me if this is a myth or not, that squirrels like to eat things that are red. Is that totally made up? I mean, they do always go for like the red ripe tomato in my garden. Uh, they usually take like one bite of it mm -hmm. and then leave it on the edge of the garden as sort of a taunt, maybe. <laughs> I don't actually know if this is true or not, but I have heard that they're often eating those juicy fruits because they need water. So I've heard some gardeners have had success with leaving like a 
leaving a bowl of water out on their garden and by their garden, and the squirrels then will drink from that instead of drinking from your tomato. I think there's something to that because I have a bowl for the dog outside, and oftentimes early in the morning, I'll see the squirrels drinking from the water bowl, and yet they leave my neighbor's raspberries, which is probably a good 25 feet of solid berries, totally alone but they'll drink from the water bowl. Hmm. That's an excellent tip. So easy to do, too. Mm-hmm. They just stand on a rock and reach in. And... I think if you can find ways to kind of accommodate critters that are assumed to be garden pests is usually the best. Like, put in an extra dill for the black swallowtail caterpillars and a bowl of water out for the squirrels. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. Let me know how it goes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you spotted the uh, fox that lived in the park this last year? I wonder what if it still is in the park. I remember this winter there was one living in the park. This might be news to people, but yeah, I just wondered, you know, if anyone spotted it, speaking of critters. I heard about it this winter, but I didn't know it resided there. I haven't spotted that one this year. I did see a fox at Pearl Park one winter, very early in the morning, kind of sprinting across the field, and I've also seen them at Audubon Park in Northeast before, but I didn't know there was one at Powderhorn. I would think a kind of a apexy type predator would be pretty good for the garden, actually. <laughs> Might cut back on some of the rabbit and squirrel damage. Maybe that's what we need in the garden. It's a fox friend. I don't know how you attract them in a way that wouldn't be a nuisance to neighbors. <laughs> good question. So I would encourage folks to uh, reach out if they want to get involved with the garden at Powderhorn or any of the other Minneapolis Park Board sites. You can find out more about the Community Garden Program at minneapolisparks.org backslash community gardens. There's information on there on how to apply, on which sites you know have potential future garden spaces. So you can check out if your neighborhood park could have a community garden in the future. Yeah, we definitely encourage folks to find a way to get involved, especially if you, you know, are living in an apartment or a condo and you don't have space to garden of your own. We'd love to you know, give you a chance to grow some food of your own in the park. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us today, Becca. Yeah, thanks for having me, Liz and Liz and Sam. (laughs) And next time on the podcast, I believe we're going to do an episode on the Creative Arts Studio, which is our renovated music studio down in the basement of Powderhorn Park. It's a pretty sensational site right now, and we've got a great core group of kids that are producing music. That's so cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye-bye.